Well, good morning, Marberly. What a beautiful day the Lord has given us to worship together to my friend, Pastor Dr. Glenn Stone, and to the wonderful staff of Marberly. How about this choir? Let's give them a hand. What a blessing it is for them to come before us and bless us with songs from on high. God is good. And he is good all the time. His mercy endures forever. I'm excited to be here with you to open up the word of God as your pastor and my friend. Our pastor has said you are going through a series, Momentum, and uh, found in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to ask you to take your copy of the word of God and let's stand as we would read Genesis chapter 6. Verse 11 through 22. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubic from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I even, I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take yourself some, some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food to you and for them. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. You may be seated. I want to talk with you this morning about rising to the occasion. Don't stop rowing. Row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. 
All of us remember that nursery rhyme, and of course its intended message is to always be persistent and diligent in whatever difficulties or duties you may face. Just keep rowing. But what do you do or how do you handle it better yet when your boat is 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high? You're not rowing it, you're floating. It's not a crisscraft of mahogany, but it's more like a barracks barge made out of budget wood. It's not a dream, but it is real life. In Genesis chapter 6, we are introduced to a 500-year-old man, a centenarian times five. That's an old man named Noah, and he's faced with such a dilemma. Noah had come to God and instructed him to build an ark, for he's going to destroy the world. Now, you can stop anyone anywhere, I would imagine, and ask them, about Noah, and they tell you, yeah, we know Noah built an ark, but what they don't know, many of them, is that Noah built a life with God before he ever built an ark. You see, it's what we build in our private lives that often is built in our public lives. It's what I do privately along with God is really what's manifested in my public life. Noah's private life, his godly life, gave him the world stage, and that's the reason we're talking about him today. God, Noah, art, flood. These are not 20th century words or 21st century words. It's strictly... Bible words. Sin had come before God, and God's going to judge sin, but as God always does, he provides a way of salvation for those who will hear his word, and that way of salvation was by Noah and the ark. What can we learn from Noah? I mean, we're relatively technologically sound people. What can we learn from a 500-year-old man building an ark. The lady told me in the hall a minute ago, and he did it all without power tools. <laughs> what can we learn from Noah? Noah walked with God unapologetically. The Bible has us know that Noah walked with God, verse 8 and 9. The aim and goal of every believer should be to live a life that's pleasing to God everywhere. And according to the Bible, this is characterized when God says Noah walked with God. When we read Genesis chapter 6, particularly the first eight verses, we discover that the wickedness of man was great and that every thought in his heart was evil. Humanity was wicked, and the Bible says that God was sorry he repented that he had made man. Now, man's made in the image of God, so things must have been really, really bad for God to be sorry that he made man. But that's what we're told in the Bible. He comes to Noah and he says to Noah, I'm going to judge the world. And of course, you and I know now that he's going to judge it by a great deluge. It's going to be a flood, and that flood's going to consume the whole world. But yet, in the midst of a world that's corrupt, 
As dark as this time seems to be, verse 8 tells us, but God found favor in Noah. He was a righteous man and a blameless man who walked with God. Now get this, the whole entire world is corrupt, but yet there's one man by the name of Noah who we're told is righteous and blameless. In spite of all the wickedness that's going on around him, Noah decides that he's going to live right and righteous for God. What Noah shows you and I is that, yes, it is possible for you and I to live a righteous life even in a world that's filled with evil and corruption. The text says Noah walked with God. Now, to walk with God is to resolve in your heart that every single day I'm going to live my life the way God wants me to live it. Every morning, Noah checked in with God. Good morning, God. Good morning, Noah. Noon, Noah. Good afternoon, God. Good afternoon, Noah. The evening time, day's task fulfilled. Good evening, God. Good evening, Noah. Every single step of the way throughout Noah's life, we're told that he checked in with God. It's kind of like our daughter Ambria did when she first started to drive. She'd literally go out of the driveway and be sitting in the car, call back into the house and said, Daddy, I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to leave. Said, okay, be careful. I love you. She'd get where she was going. She'd get to school. She'd call. Daddy, I made it to school. That's good, baby. Have a great day. School's out. She'd get back in the car. She'd be sitting in the car. She'd call. Daddy, I'm about to crank the car, and I'm about to leave and head for home. I said, every step of the way, she was so cautious to stay in touch. This is what Noah did, and this is the picture that we have of his relationship with God. Every single step of the way, Noah checked in with God. Now, if you're going to walk with God, you've got to stay in communion with God every single day, not just on Sundays, but every single day, you've got to check in with God. We're told that Noah walked with God and he's righteous and blameless. These are two words that we don't hear people describe one another by. Righteous and blameless. He's righteous because he's in right standings with God. He's blameless because he has integrity with people. He wasn't perfect, at least you say Noah was perfect. No, we discover he's not later on in his life, but yet... Noah is described as walking with God. David Kunst of Wakusa, Minnesota, was the first man recorded to walk around the world. At the completion of his journey, he'd walked 15,000 miles. At his interview, he says, 20 million steps I've taken. I've wore out 21 pair of shoes, but I've proved something to myself. As a human being, if you make up your mind and you are determined, you can walk around the world. Now, if David Kuntz can decide in his mind that he's going to walk around the world, then you and I can decide by faith that we're going to walk with God, not only in this world, but we can walk all the way with him to the next world. If he decide that he could walk with God, so can 
you and I. What a high and holy privilege we have to walk with God. He invites us to walk with him. It was Henry Ford that said, those who walk with God will always reach their destination. Noah walked with God unapologetically. But then Noah walked, worked for God unquestioningly. Verse 13 through 17. Now, in order to really work for God, you must first be walking with God. It's from our relationship with God that we get the instructions for our lives. Often too many people walk through life aimlessly and they're trying to figure out why they're here. What does God want me to do with my life? Well, it simply starts by walking with God. Noah walked with God and his walk with God led to his assignment from God. The word says in verse 13, then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. He goes on to tell him to make an ark. It's in these few verses that God gives Noah his plan to destroy the earth. But within that plan, God gives a way of salvation. Listen, God judges sin. God judges sin. God judges sin. This is a side of God that many people don't like to talk about, this judgment side of God. It's really uncomfortable for many. If God really loves us, why and how can he be so harsh? What they need to understand is that God loves us, yes, he loves all of us. It's sin that requires judgment. And whenever sin is engaged in and not repented of, God sends judgment. Many of us have become so anesthetized to sin. It's, it's almost comical when we see people engage in sin. Sometimes we fail to see the seriousness of sin. It's almost as if we're numbed to sin. You know, our church, Friendship Church, is located on Eastman and Gum Springs Road. It's just south of here. It's adjacent to the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Rail Line. It's become infamous in the last few months or so for blocking the road. You know, at 8 and 5 o'clock, when you need that road the least, they decide to block it. I remember when we moved over there, that train, the noise of it would really interrupt everything that I was trying to do. I'd be on the phone trying to have a phone conversation and I'd hear that engine and I'd hear that horn. I'd be trying to counsel or talk with someone in the office and I'd hear that engine and hear that horn. I'd be even trying to take a nap sometimes and I'd hear that engine, and I'd hear that horn. One of the dear ladies, the senior ladies at our church who had lived along that same rail line for a number of years, Sister Juanita, she said to me, oh, don't worry about it, Pastor. You'll get used to it. And I said to myself, no, I won't. <laughs> but you know what's happened over the weeks? You know what's happened over the months? Do you know what's happened over the years? 
I've gotten used to it. 4,000 horsepower diesel engine vibrating the ground, horn piercing the air at 140 or more probably decibels, and I've gotten used to it. God help us all that we do not get used to sin like I've become used to that train. Sin must be judged. God is righteous, yes, he's holy, you know that. But he'd rather show you mercy than judgment. And before he pronounces judgment, he gives Noah the instructions for a way out. He says to him, I want you to build an ark. I want you to make it out of gopher wood. Nobody knows what that really is. Some say that it could be cypress wood. Whatever kind of wood it was, it had to be available and plenteous because it's going to take him about 14,000 trees to build this ark. The length of it is to be 450 feet. The breadth of it is to be 75 feet. And the height is to be 45 feet, perhaps a football field and a half with over 100,000 square feet, probably a couple of three of these buildings this size. Interesting note, he's to pitch, we're told, the art, and pitch is what we would see today as tar. He's to make this art waterproof so that what's outside does not get on the inside and what's on the inside does not get on the outside. Interesting thing I discovered in my study found in Leviticus 17 verse 11 that pitch is also used as the word atonement. And you know what atonement is. It's what Jesus Christ has done for all of us on the cross at Calvary. He atoned for our sins and just like Noah pitched that boat so that what was on the outside wouldn't get on the inside and what's on the inside couldn't get on the outside. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for all of us. It has atoned us so that we could be in right relationship with God. God judges sin, but he always provides a way of salvation. Only if they would listen to the words of Noah. We find this throughout the Bible. God sending judgment, but he's always sending a way of salvation along with it. It was in Exodus 12 that wicked Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God's command to let the children of Israel go. Pharaoh had decided he was not going to do that. As a last plague, God sent the death angel through Egypt to strike down dead every firstborn in the house. But he said to Moses, tell my people and all that will believe that if they'll slaughter a lamb and take some hyssop and get the blood of that lamb and spread it across the lintel of their door and along the doorpost, that house shall be saved. And that night the death angel rode through Egypt and every house that was not covered by the blood of that lamb, that firstborn was destroyed. Yes, even in judgment, God is so merciful and he will always give us a way of salvation. Even when we read John's gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish 
but have everlasting life. That's God's way of salvation. The apostle Peter in his writing says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering. That is to say God is patient toward us because he's willing that no man suffers. God always provides a way of salvation. Praise be unto God that even in judgment he provides a way of salvation. Noah worked for God. Well, Noah walked with God unapologetically, and then Noah worked for God unquestioningly. But then finally, Noah witnessed for God unrelentingly. Verse 22, after God gives Noah the exact dimensions of this art, he reiterates to Noah, the flood is coming, but he assures Noah that he's going to establish his covenant with him, with his wife, with his sons, and with his sons' wives. In other words, God is saying to Noah, as a result of your faith in me, I'm not only going to save your family, but you're going to be the impetus for the whole world being saved. Isn't that amazing that God can use just one person to change the entire world? One man is all it took. And that one man was Noah. You know, we are living in a post-Christian world today. That is to say, the world is not as welcoming to God and Christianity as it once was. The world is a very different place. We took for granted, perhaps you and I, we took for granted that God would be welcomed every day. But our world is changing. I was born and raised in Tyler and attended the public school there, T.J. Austin Elementary and Bolter Junior High and John Tyler High School. And I can remember every morning the principal, while I was at T.J. Austin, the principal there was Randy Fleet, a very godly man. Bolter Middle School, the principal there was Mr. Bill Moyer. And on to John Tyler High School, the principal there was Miss Joan Brooks godly people. Every morning I can remember them coming over the intercom. We said the Pledge of Allegiance and we had prayer. And prayer was always concluded in Jesus' name. Not so today. Unless you're in a parochial school where Christian values are honored you say the name of Jesus and everybody's offended. Does not matter what they're talking about and their take on a world religion, but at the sound of the name of Jesus, everybody seems to get offended. That's not the world that I grew up in, but it's the world that you and I live in today. But I don't know about you. I'm not going to let anyone make me hide my faith in Christ. Because if it were not for Jesus, 
If it were not for Jesus Christ dying on the cross, my soul would be lost. What I have, God gave me. What I am, God made me. What I know, God taught me. And wherever I hope to go, God will have to carry me. So I'm not really concerned about what the world thinks. But I will not hide my faith in a world just because that world is offended by my faith. Noah witnessed for God. Verse 22 concludes by saying, Noah did all that God commanded him to do. He did everything all the time just the way God said to do it. But my question is, how was he able to do that? I believe Hebrews 11 and verse 7 gives us the answer. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. There's the answer. Noah's faith is what allowed him to move at the word of God without ever seeing one drop of rain. He, like others around him, didn't know what a flood was, but when God told him that there was coming a flood, Noah got busy working. It was his faith. Now, you can talk about faith all you want. I've been in East Texas all of my life. We're really good at talking about faith. But faith without action is no faith at all. Noah had faith in God, and his faith in God caused him to act on that faith. And that faith was acted upon by him building an ark without ever seeing rain. Noah's faith served as a good witness in a very corrupt world. I can see Noah going out every day, every swing of that axe was a witness. It's going to rain. Every time Noah's hammer drove a nail into that ark, it's going to rain. And I can imagine there were some that scoffed Noah and they would walk by him and say, look at that weirdo. He says it's going to rain. He's saying something about a flood. We don't even know what he's talking about. For 120 years, same sermon, six days a week, he's working. It's going to rain. How do you know? God told me it's going to rain. Noah was a witness for God. But you know, just like the days of Noah, there were so many people that heard Noah's message, and it's very obvious from the outcome that they did not believe him. Every single time Noah said that there's going to be a flood, God was giving humanity an opportunity to sign up by faith and board that ark and be saved. But they wouldn't heed his message. The final eruption of Mount St. Helen in May of 1980 didn't come as a sudden surprise. For two months 
prior to that deadly eruption, authorities begged and pleaded with 83-year-old World War I veteran Harry Randall Truman. He was the caretaker of a little lodge that sat near the base of St. Helen. Authorities warned him every day, Truman, you better get out. Truman, you'd better get out. He was being interviewed by one of the local papers there, and Truman said, I don't have any idea whether it's going to blow or not. They keep saying it is, but I don't believe it. On May 18, 1980, Truman and his entire lodge was buried beneath 150 feet of volcanic lava. His body's never been found, by the way. He perished after being warned. You know, people like Truman, they hear the message of Jesus Christ and they don't believe. They just think it's something that preachers and churches do. We talk about Jesus Christ and we talk about his return. Some have heard it so much they could almost finish the sermon, but yet... They haven't believed, yet they won't believe. Just as Noah said in his day, the flood is coming, and they didn't believe. Preachers all over the land and country are saying that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for your sins. And by faith in that finished work at Calvary, you too can be saved. 120 years, Noah declared, it's going to rain. Get on board. But yet the people decided not. I'll run the risk of repeating a message probably that Noah said over and over. God loves you. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to die on the cross in your place and in my place. Not only did he die for sins, he was buried. And on the third day, the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. And by faith in that finished work, you too can be saved. So it's not a question of does God love me? Yes. Did Jesus die for me? Yes. Was he raised again? Yes. It's a question of whether or not you're going to believe it. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Gingerly, 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 gingerly. Eternal life is not a dream. God bless you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word on Noah. Teach us how to walk by faith as Noah has shown us today. Pray that this message, that some heart would receive you as Savior as a result of hearing about your grace and about your salvation.
through this passage. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.